up, guys, and welcome back to another episode of The Torrent, a podcast giving you discussions on music, movies, TV, and video games. I'm your host, Nick, and I'm joined, as always, by Alan and Matt. What's up, guys? Hey, Nick. How's it going? Let's, uh, let's get this podcast going. I'm excited. Yeah, man. Got some, got some good topics here. Matt, how you doing? Doing okay. Um, hanging in there. I, I did a 10-mile run today, so... You did today? Uh, 10 miles, dude? Today, this morning, yeah. And... Wait, for uh, fun, or like... Yeah, it was for fun. Well, so, okay, so in November, I started running, and I was like, oh, yeah, this is kind of fun. And then I realized that after I run, like, more than four miles, my knees really, really hurt. Um, and But at that time, before I found that out, I signed up for this lottery run in D.C. called the Cherry Blossom 10-mile run. Mm-hmm. And it's, like, a pretty big deal It's because like, it's a lottery and not everyone can get in. Yeah. So I finally got in, and um, I just, like, hated running after a while, and um, I just wasn't doing it. And before today, the longest I had previously ran was, like, four and a half miles. So I more than doubled, like, my Shattered total. records. Yeah, and it was <laughs> it was really, really – it was fun, and, like, everyone was really fun. I did it with some friends, and it was great, but, like, my knees feel horrible right now. I'm just so useless. So it was good, but I'm just exhausted. Um, how did you uh, finish compared to everyone else? I, I was 11,000th. So. 11,000th? Yeah, but there was like, I think it, there was like 16,000 people. Okay. So, yeah, but I mean, still, I for, like for not 11, running competitively yeah. like that a lot, that's really yeah. good. Um. Yeah, I, I definitely could feel towards the end that I was not going fast, but all I wanted to do was just finish without walking. So. Oh, and you did? Um, I did, that's yeah. Right. It, was, it, wasn't, uh, it wasn't fast, but I did run the whole time so that was cool i would Did people probably... uh oh go ahead oh sorry Did people th- like give you water and stuff as you're running was it like yeah it was it, yeah there's so much cool stuff going on because there were cherry blossoms everywhere which is fun mm-hmm. but pe- people had signs and that was really really cool and fun and uh um sierra came and brought like three separate signs for three different areas so that was really cool nice but um there were people so there was gatorade and water uh throughout the course which was really cool and there was some food and porta potties and stuff as you ran then they would have like entertainment stations where people like there was like a marching band at one and um, like just some people playing really loud music, which was awesome at the other one. And then the, my favorite one, had, they had this huge sign that said Oreos and beer. And it was not like a sanctioned thing from the, from like the company who set this up. It was just some random people who did this at runs, I guess. So they had like all these things of Oreos and they had all this beer that they were handing out. It was so awesome. So did anybody did any of the runners actually go get Oreos and beer mid run? Oh dude, yeah. There was like a line. Like people were waiting. No <laughs> it way. It was really cool. Yeah, That's my friend Timu ran so she got two Oreos. <laughs> like As a victim so. of a beer mile in a past life uh i do not recommend running long distances and chugging beers it's uh um, not a good formula yeah, <laughs> yeah i can't imagine yeah well that's yeah. awesome man we're proud of you that's uh yeah. that's quite an accomplishment yeah. i would have probably yeah. died around mile two so um, yeah yeah i think i could have gotten to like maybe two and a half so yeah props <laughs> yeah. to you dude <laughs> thank you guys i appreciate it so that was all right all right you guys ready yeah. to jump into the news yeah let's, let's do it let's do it uh, the weekly download is brought to you by April Snowstorms. Are you trying to enjoy a nice spring and finally start golf season after a long winter, but keep getting cock-blocked by nor'easters? That's my life, guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's all of our lives. Well, I guess not Matt so much, because he's yeah. a southern boy yeah, now. Southern boy. You know, yeah, that is true. But you know what? It did get down to like 34 this morning, so so I'm still miserable. I'm still not happy about it. But... <laughs> that's pretty cold, yeah. Huh? Yeah, that sucks. So... Anywho. Anyway. Um, <laughs> all right, moving into our first uh, news story here. Uh, before this game came out, we had talked about uh, being really excited for it. There have been some reviews uh, that came out, and Sea of Thieves has proved to be um, pretty divisive amongst the gaming community. I've seen some very scathing, uh, scathing reviews, and I've seen some very good reviews. Um, on one hand... Somebody said, uh, compared Sea of Thieves to the next No Man's Sky um, oh. in that whole fiasco. And then the other one being, um, it's Destiny for Dads, but in the best way possible. So what do you guys think? So I watched uh, some videos on Sea of Thieves. And I thought, so in the videos I watched was this guy playing it solo. Mm-hmm. But I thought it looked awesome. And, and like, I don't know, I don't know why they would compare it to no man's sky because from from what i remember no man's sky was just boring and just like what you were doing just felt like a chore and wasn't fun Mm -hmm. 
And everything this, that was happening in this game looked awesome. So maybe there's just like so much to do and some of it's just kind of annoying or just like a lot of the rep- repetition or whatever. Yeah, I think it was just overall lack of depth for the $60 that you're paying for the game. It just seemed a lot of rinse and repeat type missions, not a lot of uh, variability. there, And that was partially by design because they're, they want the player to create their own adventure, but you know, if there's not too much to do besides, you know, that, then I think people are going to get bored pretty quick. Yeah. So I could see that happening, but it just the core gameplay itself. Like I was watching this guy just sailing through seas and like people were launching like cannons from an eye, like randomly at a, from an Island at him. And he was like trying to avoid it. And then he was like in a battle with other ships and stuff. And, um, it just, I mean, even if it's like a rinse and repeat, this is kind of like a killing floor thing. What's like repetition, but and and Rocket League even it's yeah. repetition. But if it's fun, then it's fun, and you don't really mind that kind of repetition. Um, so. There's really there's really no progression either, as far as I know. Like you get all this treasure and stuff, and I, but there isn't much to. Um, there's no like big reward system. Like at least with Killing Floor, Matt, you that you mentioned. Um, there's some unlocks, there's some level up, leveling up in this one, a gun is a gun, whether you're, uh, a newbie or you're an experienced player, your pistol is still a pistol. There's no stat increase. There's no nothing. So, yeah, you know what? That's a good point because every game now has that. And those games that don't have it are not as fun. Mm-hmm. Like all of duty has so many unlocks and, um, you know, like you said, killing floor has now, especially so many unlocks and sure. the- game i play on ipad with some of my students and uh, even that game has unlocks and it's just like you know those are the, those are how that's how they hook you now so yeah if this game doesn't have that it's gonna be a problem i bet it will eventually though sure yeah so um all right next uh killing floor 2 came out with a big update uh we had a chance to play this together last week sometime uh what'd you guys think about about it yeah this is pretty intense uh there's a lot going on cool new mode where it's just an endless waves coming at you. Mm-hmm. And the thing that surprised me the most was how they changed it up so that some waves were a little bit different than others. So you could have a wave where it's all one certain type of enemy and all of a sudden you're freaking out because there's a million guys with chainsaws coming after you. And <laughs> it, it was very interesting. It was, it was fun to play. Yeah. Um, this It reminded me a lot of uh, like Call of zombies. Duty Zombies. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Ooh, that's a, yeah, that's true. Um, I love Killing Floor and Killing Floor Two, especially, mm-hmm. and this and the fact that they just keep releasing these free updates like is just so awesome. The game's not even like a like a sixty dollar game. I'm pretty sure it's only thirty dollars, and the fact that they give out like free DLC, new different level types. Like there's that one level type where you drop down into like another whole level and. Everything Killing Floor is doing is just so crazy and so fun. I really mm-hmm. love it. So. And they got cool um, custom maps. Like, remember we played the castle level from Super Mario 64? Oh, yeah. And we were inside the, the castle and we were shooting zombies. It was, it was crazy. Yeah, that's fun. Um, yeah. Everything, like, that. that's a game that keeps you coming back. Sure. Even though it's so repetitive. Like, it's just wave after wave, but it's so satisfying. Mm-hmm. Like, if you take a shotgun and you shoot, like, five guys and they all explode backwards. Yeah. That never ever gets old. I think all the different classes really give a lot of variability too. Like you can yep. you can play the game as one class and play the game as another class, and it's a completely different experience. I think. Totally agree. And and there's leveling up with that, and you really start to feel more powerful. So that they just got everything that they uh, that they need to uh, make the game Sustain. like. Yeah. Nino Kuni Two Revenant Kingdom. Alan, you had this on the list. Yeah, this is a pretty interesting game. Uh, the first Nino Kuni came out a few years ago, and I got the chance to not play it myself, but watch my roommate play it. And it was just a really interesting, really engaging game. The story behind it was just fun enough to where I was pretty satisfied just watching him play it and getting to understand the game and how it works and also the storyline behind it. Sure. Uh, it's kind of similar to a Pokemon style, but instead of uh, the Pokemon fighting for you, you fight with them, and it's more live action than it is the turn-based. Okay. With some kind of cool little uh, mechanics where you can pause the game and have your, uh, you know, Pokemon do different things and then go back into live action and fight alongside with them. So, uh, is it a obviously it's a Japanese style anime type look to it, just based yeah. on the title? Okay. Yeah, and I believe it's dubbed too as well. I okay. think there's like a Japanese version that they dub over into English. So okay. 
And you wow. said, yes, and you said the it's not a straight turn-based game. It's more of a a fluid kind of thing, but you can still pause it. And uh, is it like a dice roller, like um, like a Knights of the Old Republic style combat, or what? No, it plays more like a Final Fantasy, like a newer Final Fantasy okay. game, where yeah, they're yeah. like more live action. You're kind of fighting that way. Yep, it's kind of cool. Uh, but it's got a little bit of a nicer appeal to it, where it's a little simpler, uh, more um, childish type graphics. So it's kind of cool. All right, cool. Uh, yeah, so the the first one was a pretty big hit, but not as well known, but pretty successful still and great reviews. And the second one I hear is uh, just as great. So definitely worth a check out if you're into the smaller uh, Japanese style games. So awesome. Yeah, and those graphics look literally like an anime, like a cartoon. Yeah, exactly. Oh, I'm not, okay, cool. I'm not a fan of those graphics, but these look so awesome that you uh you can't deny it looks great yeah it has a very similar art style to like studio ghibli if you know any of those movies spirited away and that kind of stuff it's, got, it's uh, similar to that so okay that's very cool. yeah. nice um all right moving over to some movies game over man um if you're a big fan of workaholics they came out with their own netflix movie i had well it was a movie um, it was <laughs> it was a movie, it was definitely um, a movie. alan you also saw this movie what do you think what do you think about it um, man, you know, I loved Workaholics, so I was pretty pumped for it. Yeah. And it, like, had that style of Workaholics, but it was just weird. There were some, like, kind of strange, strange moments. Very like, strange. some of it was pretty funny, but a lot of it was just really strange, so. Um, um, they had some obvious homages to Die Hard. I mean, the whole movie started out very Die Hard-esque, if you've ever seen Die Hard. Um, and I kind of laughed at some of those references and jokes, because um, they actually did it pretty well. And there's there's a couple other parts I laughed at, but overall I thought this movie was, like you said, very sh- weird. Um, I I don't know if they were really playing up, and I hate to use a word, but um, they're really playing up the millennial aspect of it with the whole Instagram and oh, gotta get it for the gram, and their the character motivations were all for just to put it on social media or just to get rich and famous from doing literally nothing. Um, yeah. That part kind of turned me off, but like. Uh, like uh, the two henchmen were named Bilbo and Dildo, and I laughed really hard at that. A um, <laughs> um, uh, lot of a lot of dick in this movie. You see, you see, yeah. you see quite a bit of dick. Like straight wow. dick, uncensored, just dick. Yeah, yeah. Um, I did. You know what though? I did laugh at the part where Adam Devine was like, like twisting, and it was like slapping against, and then then Durs is like, no, dude, it's not like it was. It was weird. It was gross <laughs> out. It was just. It, it was funny though. Yeah. Uh, so. Um, what would you give this movie uh, out of five bottles of mead? I was really struggling with this. <laughs> I think I would give it, a, like, a, probably a two point five out of five bottles. Like, just it was a completely average movie. Didn't hate it. Didn't love it. It was just like I watched it and it was okay. You know. Yeah, I think I'm hovering around the one point seven five two out of out of five bottles of mead. It's a, uh, it's one of those movies. If I I would never sit down to watch it by myself again. Um, but if I had a bunch of friends over, we were getting drunk and we need something to laugh at. I think it's one of those movies where if you watch it in a big group, it makes it really fun. You know. Yeah, for I mean? sure. Yeah, I agree. Nice. Um. All right. Next, uh, guys, this is a Christmas miracle. Matt has actually seen a movie before we had a chance to see this movie. Gasp, so everyone right? out there listening, please give a round of applause. Matt, yeah. golf clap to you, Thank you in honor of the Masters. Thank you. Nice it job. Was, um, yeah, it was, uh, it was hard, you know? Like, <laughs> I just had to go out to the movies. I haven't done that in a while. Yeah. Um, yeah. So what did you get a chance to go see? Okay, so yesterday, everyone, I went and saw A Quiet Place featuring john krasinski and his lovely wife emily blunt yes which directed by john krasinski too also yep very cool yeah so that was awesome um so actually going into this i knew i knew we were all planning with a big group and i didn't know anything about the story so i don't know exactly how much to say about it okay um Um, i can so real quick let me interject I've seen the trailer for it. So, so far, the premise that we know is, for some reason, they can't say anything. John John Krasinski and Emily Blunt have a family. We see that in the trailers. Um, There's something after them. They're going out of their way to be extra quiet. And uh, Emily Blunt is pregnant. We see her in a bathtub and giving birth and trying not to scream. So that's all we know. So from there, take it away. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I don't really want to add too much to what you said about that because okay. that explains everything and yep. I don't want to spoil anything. Okay. But what I will say is 
the whole time. So the, the movie theater was packed. Yeah. The whole time, everyone's like on the edge of their seat. And and every time like something happened and I'd be like, oh, God, no. Like it's so stressful the whole time. And everyone feels it. Okay. It was like a community like situation. Like everyone was moaning <laughs> and everyone was just like, oh, my God. There's so many things going on where you're like. Is is this gonna like f them up? Is this gonna f like what's gonna happen? Like yeah, you're just it, it wasn't super long. It was the perfect length of time for the movie. Okay, and then at the end, there's a part where just the whole audience is just like, oh my god, and then something crazy happens, and everyone starts applaud like applauding and cheering, and like it was so crazy that like the whole audience, it was like we were all collectively stressed out together. It yeah. was very fun. Definitely go see this in the theaters because it was very stress-inducing. Awesome. Um, perfect example of like horror-ish thriller movies. Yeah. So good. Definitely recommend it. Um, I've seen a lot of people online who aren't horror fans, who don't like to go see a lot of horror movies, say they really enjoyed and had a really good time at the theater watching this movie. So would you yeah. agree with that? Definitely, because we had a lot of people who were with us um, okay. who were not horror fans. Yeah, and um, you know they didn't—they obviously didn't like the movie as much as some of us did. Yeah, but they all were just like, "Wow, that was so crazy!" I, w- I would definitely agree with what you said. That it's it will it will pretty much appeal to anyone that likes suspenseful, um, you know, thrillers. So cool, super great. I would probably give it five uh, bottles of mead. Wow, Mac is it a five out of five bottles of mead? Crazy. Yeah. Um, um, it didn't necessarily like turn the genre on its head or anything, but yeah. it was just super well done. You were like really invested in it, and you're just like any movie that makes you like on the edge of your seat and like sweating. Yeah, is a good a good movie. Well, apparently a lot of people agreed with you because uh, it shattered all expectations this weekend with a fifty million dollar opening, um, and it only came out Thursday. Uh, yeah. World wide release anyway. So, and for a wow. horror movie that is absolutely fantastic i think it's one of the largest horror opening weekends of all time yeah i can believe that it, it, it'll appeal to a lot more people than a typical horror movie would so sure so go see it it's very um, cool how was it with uh john krasinski specifically because a lot of people they know him as jim from the office and they yeah. can't get a, they can't get the image out of their head so um how was it watching jim from the office in a horror movie like did he sell it well enough to believe it was a different character? So um, I think two people we were with said that they, they just couldn't, uh, they just couldn't get used to him being that, yeah. being yeah. that just because of looks alone. Right. But I really do think he sold it. Okay. Um, the whole movie is very serious and there's never like any like funny parts. There's no laughing at all. Yeah. But, um, and, but, and uh, I was going to say Jim, John Krasinski <laughs> does a great job of, um, of like making you believe that. So I, I didn't have a problem with him being a serious role at all. How funny would that be if like it's a really tense uh, part of the movie and then like it's a jump scare and then John Trzynski does like the gym look and just yeah, looks like, through the camera and the just camera. Like, shrugs. <laughs> <laughs> that would be awesome. Um, <laughs> cool. So yeah, five out of five for The Quiet Place. Yep. Nice. Um, all right, next, I had a chance to go see Ready Player One this weekend. Um, I finished reading the novel. I was really excited for this movie. Um, I thought it was okay. I thought it was really fun. They updated a lot of the references from 80s references from the book to um, modern day references in the movie, which I thought was really cool, especially for all the young kids. There's a ton of Easter egg videos out there. For those of you who have seen the movie, I want to count all the Easter eggs. But we saw appearances from Mortal Kombat characters, from uh, Halo characters, from Overwatch characters, from literally stuff I totally forgot about. Um, And I thought they did a really good job with that. Story-wise, I thought it was a little lacking. Um, I would still recommend the book. I think the book just had – it felt like the story had way more stakes in the book. But overall, fun, fun uh, spring movie uh, to come out. I think Steven Spielberg did a a good job directing this one. Uh, I wouldn't put it in one of his all-time bests, but um, it was decent. I think I would give it a three out of five. Okay. Now, when you say there were appearances appearances from Mortal Kombat and Halo characters, are they actually in the movie? So, or is it just kind of like they're in the background? You see them kind of run by type of thing. Yeah, um, it's a little bit of both. So, okay. um, like, there's a lot of battle sequences that you see in the trailer, 
um, the characters will have different weapons to use to fight. And so the one character has the assault rifle from Halo. The uh. one character uh, like goes through their inventory and they spawn the chainsaw gun from Gears of War. Um, the other one gets like the Halo bazooka. Um, Vehicle-wise, we saw some the whole bunch of stuff. We saw the Batmobile. We saw Speed Racer. We saw uh, Knight Rider. We saw the DeLorean from Back to the Future. We saw... Um, oh uh um couple of ships from like Firefly and Battlestar Galactica and Gundams wow. and just like just it just keeps racking up and racking up so jeez okay um, but, yeah. but they're pretty brief references they're quick part? yeah it's a, some of them okay. are a blink and you miss it type of thing but others are like front and center um they're walking through the oasis like just you know and you see like ninja turtles just casually walk by you know some some people's <laughs> avatars are the ninja turtles or something like that so Oh, fun, cool. fun movie. Don't put a lot of hopes and dreams into the story and how deep the story goes. I would read the book for that, but um, overall, fun movie. Cool. All right, moving on to some music now. Uh, the Weeknd released a new EP this Friday called My Dear Melancholy. Uh, Alan, what did you think of that? This was, like, so weird. I mean, yeah. so uh, the the very obvious theme of this album is... The weekend's breakup with Selena Gomez, and it's very heavily uh, influenced by that. And there's a lot of references to his relationship and the things oh, that they went through together. I didn't even know they were that. together. Okay. Well, they're not. They broke up. Right. Right. That, yeah. Oh, oh. Okay. Yeah. And she got back with Justin Bieber and stuff. So, like, it's and so the the issue I I had with this is that you know, okay, it's if you're gonna release a song about like a breakup, you know, re- release one song and you keep all your street cred and you're still a pretty good like rapper and you know not many people are gonna look at you weird yeah. he released six songs and all six songs were about this and they were just like very very strange and there's a lot of just like oh really really awful emotions coming out and stuff and it just it really changed the 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 appearance that i had for for the weekend and i was really hoping you know there'd be a, a one one or two songs about the breakup and then he released some songs that were more his style and yeah uh, can I get back to his old, not his old self, but like the type of music that he generally produces? Sure. And it wasn't, it was pretty much an album dedicated to that breakup. So that's like some Taylor Swift level stuff. Like, and, and some, like it, it was, it was, it was above that. So yeah. Jeez. Yeah. I, I listened to it quickly. You know, I, I'm going to have to listen to it again, knowing that they, him and Selena Gomez were together and then they broke up. Like that puts a whole different layer to me uh on it for me but uh i gave it a listen it was it was okay but like you said it was kind of weird it was a little out there for yeah very slow very mellow like yeah not, not a whole lot of good upbeat rap songs so yeah don't don't listen to it expecting the old weekend or any anything new that the weekends are putting out expect you know a little more of a depressing almost album so sure not a good move not a good move to make <laughs> no yeah. um all right, next. Uh, Cardi B finally released her feature-length album called Invasion of Privacy. This one has, you know, she said, so, she said so many singles out, I almost forgot that those singles weren't on albums already. So this album dropped in, like, Bodak Yellow and uh, Bardia Cardi were on there. And I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I listened to the rest of it pretty briefly. Um, a couple standouts, but um, it was okay for me. Uh, have you guys had a chance to listen to it yet? I haven't had a full chance to listen to it, but um, you know, I'm sure it's I'm sure it's going to be okay. Uh, yeah. Like you said, the singles that have already been released uh, are the big songs on it, and it's kind of what you expect from an album. You're not going to get a hundred hits on an album, and sure, you know, you're going to have one or two songs that are really going to stand out from the rest. So, sure, the fact that she kind of already released those already, and now they're on the album again, is just kind of a difference in how people, or a difference in how she decided to kind of release the music. So, for sure, uh, you guys ready for music picks? Yeah, let's do it. Let's awesome. do it. All right, first on the list. Uh, yeah, so yeah. yeah, this is one I threw on. It's called uh, "I Heard You Got Too Lit Last Night" by Saint John. <laughs> just a, <laughs> just a, a funny little song about just guy rapping about a girl getting too too drunk the night before, and just singing about it, and just got a nice little rap beat to it, a little trap beat to it, and a nice kind of weird synth in the background. So good, good listen. Uh, not not as well known of an artist, so a little bit of a more uh, 
indie rap scene, if you could call it that, in the sense that it's a little less known. So. Cool. All right, moving on to my picks. I had um, I've been listening to this band nonstop since I heard about them. Greta Van Fleet Safari Song. Um, Greta Van Fleet is a revivalist rock band. The singer sounds exactly like Led Zeppelin. Like the whole band sounds uh, a lot like Led Zeppelin. It's kind of thrown the whole rock community into a huge um, tailspin, whether they're a great band with actual talent or they're just a Led Zeppelin ripoff band. And um, I think those these kids, I mean, there's three brothers and a friend and they're only like 21 and um, they have a solid first album out right now. Um, so I chose Safari Song, which is the first song on the on the album there. Um, I think they're a great band. I, I like to see more of them. Them with and the Struts, who I mentioned before on the show. Um, they're kind of these new age rock bands that are coming out that just seem to be picking up tones and sounds from um, older style rock bands who I think are um, who are really good. And I'm glad to see that uh, rock's coming back a little bit. You know. Yeah, I think you nailed it too. That they have a like a perfect 70s 80s like hair metal band sound because I I gave this song a listen and I'm yeah. like. Wait, what? What? What era is this from? And I like had to like go off and like Google it. I'm like, oh yeah. crap, this is from like a, like a year or two ago. Yeah. And I was like, wow, yeah, this yeah. Is, they they nailed that sound. So it was, it was impressive. Yeah, absolutely. Um. All right. Next, I had Drake. Uh, nice for what? This is a new uh single he dropped the, over the weekend. Um, pretty good song. Uh, I put this on here because I know there's a lot of Drake fans. We talk about Drake all the time. Um. Pretty good song, I thought. Solid, solid uh, song. A little bit different from what you normally hear out of Drake, but um, pretty good. Yeah, I, I gave it a quick listen before the cast, and I agree with you. It's he definitely has songs where I hear them. I'm like, yeah, that needs to go on like a list. Like I need to hear that song multiple times on a playlist or something like yeah. that. Yeah. This wasn't quite one of those songs, right? Um, but I think it was still like a good song and a song that's like, yeah, it's catchy. It's it's a decent song. It, it's it's still fun to listen to. It just yeah. wasn't you know uh, a a standout song for him. Sure. Yeah, I agree, hundred percent. Next couple ones, I've been watching some a lot of HBO shows lately, and I just wanted to give some shout-outs because HBO, I think, overall does a great job pairing music to their television shows. Um, and this first one is James Blake, Retrograde. This is a pretty popular song. You've, I think if anybody listens to it, they've definitely heard it. This song is featured during uh, a lot of episodes of The Leftovers. I Every time I listen to the song... I get flashbacks of that show. I get chills up my spine. It's just one of those songs that just kind of sticks with you, haunts you, and brings back all the emotions that The Leftovers had for me. So um, highly recommend James Blake's – James Blake's um, – also watch The Leftovers. I don't know what you guys are doing. <laughs> <laughs> um, next, uh, the same thing here. I had The Glorious Sons Runaway. Um, this is, uh, I mentioned Gloria Sons on a, a past, some past episodes. I saw them live in concert and they were awesome. Uh, this is one of the, a new single they dropped. That's kind of, a an acoustic, uh, kind of an, like, a uh, more down tempo song that they had. It was featured in the Westworld season two trailer during the, Serp, uh, during the Super Bowl, excuse me. And uh, Westworld, of course, does a great job of making popular songs into like these beautiful piano arrangements uh, cut with like beautiful scenery. And so when I heard that Runaway by the Glorious Sons was on there, I kind of freaked out. And I'm like, oh, I know that song. It's awesome. So uh, I wanted to include it on our music picks this week. Yeah. And definitely check out that uh, that preview if you haven't seen it yet because it looks awesome. Um, Speaking of Westworld, uh, I think, Alan, we're we're pretty decided that we're going to do – some Westworld recaps when once the new season starts. Yeah, I, I think we should. I mean, yeah. it, maybe not every episode, but every few episodes, we can kind of just give a little rundown of, of sure. either maybe in the weekly download, we can go give a quick rundown of each one. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so be on the lookout for that in future episodes of the show. Um, all right, next last song. Yeah, so this was uh, what I threw on. Uh, it's a little out of character for me. Yeah. Uh, but because it, it's a more electronic uh, trap song. Yeah. Uh, I kind of threw it on just to cover Matt a little bit. It's called DJ Turn It Up by Yellow Claw. I have and this on my like, workout playlist. Yes, dude, this song gets me going. Like yeah. I heard, it, I heard it. Uh, my my roommate played it for me, and I was just like, yeah. man, this is this is a sick song. Like it's, it's got that nice sweet trap beat to it. It's got yeah. that kind of like real intense flow to it. It's just it's it's a good listen. It reminds me a lot of um, DJ Snake or uh, yep, you know, that, that kind of thing. So yeah, uh, it's a, yeah, it's a good yeah. Who's that other guy too? Dylan Francis. A lot of Dylan. Yeah, Dylan, yeah. yeah. 
yeah that stuff it's a good one it's an oldie but it's a good one it's been out for a while um yeah like i said i have some of my workout playlist it's a it's one of the songs just get you get you really excited get you amped up so yeah for sure cool cool um as always, if you want to get in touch with us, you can find us on Twitter and Facebook at the Torrent Pod and uh, by email at the Torrent Podcast at gmail.com. Send us your comments, questions, thoughts. Um, send us some music picks. We'd love to hear from you guys. All right, moving into the main topic today. Uh, we're going to be talking a little bit indie games and then we're going to get into something a little special at the end here. So, um, Alan, I'm going to let you kind of start it off w- with our indie games discussion. Yeah, so, you know, I think in the past we've talked pretty much primarily on more uh, mainstream games. Yeah. And I think that's, that's you know, just because they're the ones that get the most advertisement and they get the most exposure and more people know about them and they play them more and sure. they're generally more well-polished games and more available. And so yep. you get uh, just a lot of news stories going around these things. There's a lot more controversy around them. Um, but what you don't hear about as much is the indie game scene. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to kind of just make sure that we touched on that and discussed it because there's a ton of indie game developers that don't have the same um, resources and manpower and cutting edge technology that these big game developers do, but they still put, put out some pretty fun games. Yeah. And, you know, you don't need to have these big fancy graphics or, you know, hours and hours of time put into a game to make it fun. Right. Uh, these games really succeed because of their ability to have fun gameplay and unique gameplay they focus less on making a game look good and instead of make, and instead try to make the game play good yeah and so you get a really unique experience where maybe you get a different um game that plays a lot differently than these mainstream games where you have some different things going on uh and you get to experience just a whole different style of game and so there's a lot of indie game developers that i just wanted to kind of um expose people to and reference and uh, I think we we're just going to talk about the uh, the different trials and tribulations that the indie game developers go go through. So for sure, for sure, and I I would agree with you 100. percent I think um, you know the big AAA games out there are popular for a reason. They're they're great, but sometimes um, I think they're a victim of overproduction. Um, they may look good um, and they may play well, but they don't necessarily have that like extra feel to them and i think you get that sometimes in indie games where like the spirit of the game really shines through and um you you definitely get the character of the game a lot more in indie games than you would from a call of duty for instance you know the the 15th adaptation of call of duty or whatever yeah because you have such a small group of people making a game you get a lot of their personality that comes out in the game it's kind of cool and relatable so yeah exactly um i agree that the personality of the developer comes out and that's what's most important because there were some games and i know we'll get to uh, like some of our favorites but like um the binding of isaac was this little like twin stick shooter game where you it was just like the story was bizarre like you're this boy isaac and his like super religious mom locked him in the basement where there's all these like weird crying babies and there's like poop and stuff there's just like a lot of weird stuff going on and it's so bizarre and i remember watching a video for that and being like like ew what the heck is this game this is horrible and but then i obviously played it and loved it and <laughs> so i just think that's like that draw is just so cool so uh uh that's probably one of my favorite things about indie games but um kind of connecting to developers and stuff like that i think um that the what was it the indie game movie that was like that was the first time I ever really saw what it was like to be an indie developer and how hard it is and how like stressful and um you know they they referenced a few really big indie games in that movie and is it like a um, documentary kind of thing? Yeah, okay. yeah, and they focus. I think Alan, what was it? They focus on um like that definitely Fez. I, do they talk about Braid on there? Yeah, they do, and they interview Jonathan Blow, who's the developer of Braid, uh, a little bit. I think a lot of the topic is mostly on um, Phil Fish, who's the developer of uh, Fez and oh, the stuff man. that he went through. So that poor guy. Yeah, man, I I bought Fez at full price, literally just to support him. I don't even. I've never played that game even. All right, so, so I think uh, this is a good time to jump into some developers of indie games then. So we already mentioned guys like Jonathan Blow and Phil Fish. So um, who should we be paying attention to uh, in the indie game world for developers? Um, so uh, one of them, Marcus, I think it's Marcus Pearson. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's Notch, right, who made Minecraft? That is. Yeah, so he had another game come out. Well, so they like um, they produced. 
don't know if they produced or what, whatever the or developed. I don't know what the word is, but there's another game called Cobalt that their studio kind of like supported and helped develop, I think. Okay. So there's okay. that game called Cobalt. So um the, but the whole Mojang Studios with Marcus Pearson is is really big. So definitely watch um look out for Marcus Pearson. Um I don't know how to pronounce this guy's last name, the guy who made Super Meat Boy, but they focus on him in the um in the documentary also, Tommy Refinez. Refinez? I don't know. Sure. But, yeah. Um but they're the ones who made Super Meat Boy and that game became huge and that was like a big speed run game. Um mm. And then Jonathan Blow, who created Braid, which was awesome. And then he also created The Witness, which got really good reviews. So okay. everything he does has a lot of heart in it and seems to be very cool. And uh, definitely um, definitely something very awesome to see from some of the videos. So is that like the golden standard right now is Braid and The Witness and stuff? Because when, when you search for indie developers like on Google or whatever, his name seems to be the first one that comes up consistently is Jonathan Blow. Yeah, and I think a big part of that is these are the people who really pioneered the indie game scene. Uh, they, um, it wasn't as big, obviously, when games first came out because sure. there weren't a lot of people who had the background in, in video game development. They were all indie people, developers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. There weren't a lot of people who had background in game development, and if they did, they went to these big AAA companies because they could get a job. And so uh, as time progressed and you got more people that were into it and these people who've been doing it their whole lives start to kind of branch out and do their own thing. You get these indie game developers. So mm-hmm. there's a lot of, there's a few people who really push the charge on it. Um, there, but uh, the, the thing that's coming out now is that like game development, similar to music development is becoming so accessible to everybody. Mm-hmm. So we're seeing all these like no name 19 year old rappers come out and like have awesome music and just be so sweet. Yeah. And this uh, similar thing is happening with, indie games because literally right now on steam i have 24 games on my wish list and i would probably say that all of them are indie games and they're all from different people and it's just it's something that's really cool to see because um you know there's just there's so much new content coming out and a lot of it's very unique and very cool so sure yeah and i think steam did a great job of starting their green light program which has uh, been a big big uh, help to a lot of indie game developers to get recognized and noticed by the community. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's becoming a lot more accessible to find ga- indie games and find developers and uh, to get exposure for for them. So, yeah, that's actually no longer that system's no longer in play anymore. Oh, they took that out. They did oh, take it out, that. but I the the I'm pretty sure the the process that the that they would accept new games is still similar to how they're accepting new games because I see some crazy games on Steam. I have like Money Maker Simulator, or like Goat Simulator. Goat Simulator. Yeah, well, yeah, Goat Simulator is pretty, pretty good. This is like Shake Your Money Simulator or something like that. And yeah, Shake Your Money Simulator 2016. And I'm pretty sure there's just like a bunch of strippers and you like throw money at them and stuff. And, um, it's wow. just like that game. Someone was like, "Yeah, I think this should be on Steam." I- so, I mean, uh, very interesting, but. I, I agree with you, Alan, that Steam is definitely, definitely the forefront of like indie game development. Highly recommended by practitioners of or patrons of strip clubs. Yes, <laughs> yeah. yeah. If you can't get out to strip club, you gotta chill at home. Yeah. You can watch some pixel women and men apparently dance. Listen, bro, I gotta save some money. I can't can't go to the club tonight. Yeah, right. Just gonna stay home, play, <laughs> shake your money. Yeah, so yeah. um so anyway, indie games are probably my all time favorite like type of uh, video games um, they're just so unique they're just so cool so and I think there's been some really good indie games that have kind of brought us together too uh, I think most recently uh, what was that one we were playing with the uh, human fall flat you guys remember oh, yeah. that one yeah, yeah. yeah. Human fall <laughs> flat. About that. that was just so much fun <laughs> and then I, I remember even in the past I think we would play like don't starve together like that was a, a game we played together for yes. like a long time and, yep. stuff, and that was just like an indie game that someone threw together not a big name and we but, played through uh, what was it, Hammerwatch, the little dungeon oh, shooter yeah. crawler. That was yeah. fun. Yeah, that was fun. That was a lot like um, Gauntlet, right? Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. Gauntlet's been around for a while. I would is that still would that be considered an indie game? Do you think or because it was an arcade game and then it was <sighs> kind of. True. Let me find out. I don't know. Yeah, because it was like a big arcade game, but then it yeah. was remade. So maybe the remake is considered indie. I don't know. Yeah, it's hard that's to say. Weird. I yeah. would guess not, but we played that on PlayStation, Alan, or, or no, PC? I, I, I think the, the three of us played it on PC. I think we had Kevin there, too. Yeah, I remember that. Mm. Yeah. So, um, sorry, uh, yeah, no like question golf. for you. Um, indie games, can they be 
I know it's a little bit easier, like we mentioned now, especially with, um, you know, PlayStation Network and Xbox Network and, uh, you know, and Steam to get indie games. But like in the past, when indie games were first kind of around, was it, was, was it on one specific platform, like mostly just PC? Was it, uh, could you get still get like cool little indie games on uh, like PlayStation before this current generation? As far as I know... It, you it was like indie games were unable to be produced in for consoles. Definitely, sure. I think it was for PC because programming for PC was sort of straightforward, and then you right. would just put it out on PC. Yep. But for like especially for games that had cartridges and stuff like that, you couldn't really, yeah. you could not really create create those create cartridges. On there. There's no like that. So yeah. I think PC is definitely like the birthplace of indie games. Mm-hmm. Yeah, PC has just always been. Uh, known for being very open source. Uh, it's easy to program things for a computer because there's things like Java and um, other virtual machines that you can literally just, anyone can write code for. You're not paying for the 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 um, development software that you need to write the code. Right. It's it's pretty much free and available, and it's been for a long time. Uh, with, with gaming consoles, you're really doing more of a very specific programming where um, maybe you need certain keys to actually access the the processing units of the the gaming consoles so there's a lot more of a protected um right pr- protected information there and yeah. stuff so yeah, yeah, yeah so with that being said what's your and we mentioned some of them already but what's some of your favorite indie games that you guys have played uh okay so well i mean i mentioned uh binding of isaac because that was one alan and i both played that a ton and we were like really, really into it a lot of different unlocks that changed the game and just it gets so awesome yeah my other one probably would be uh, FTL, which I think we mentioned in other episodes of yeah, I think so. podcast. Yeah, we brought it up because they had a new game come out recently, right? right? The Makers. I think, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Into the Breach. Yeah. Um, so FTL is like a, like a roguelike, which means like every you play through a game and then you will always usually die and then you'll have to carry over some, some, um, some things each time you play and it's different each time you play. So. Mm. That's a very big indie theme now, and um, FTL was probably one of the best ones, like a space type game. So, sure, definitely that's on my top top list. Nice How about you, game. Alan? Um, yeah, a couple. I think my most recent one that I've I've really enjoyed was called uh, Papers Please, um, which is just yes. uh, it's just a very interesting game where you you're a uh, what is it again, Matt? Uh, like a border patrol. Um, like a border customs. inspector, yeah, a customs, yeah, your customs, your customs officer, yeah, exactly. Your customs <laughs> officer, and you're basically just checking passports and stuff. But what you start to find is people are starting to forge information on the passports, and your job is basically to analyze all these documents as fast as you can, so you get paid more, and try and find the errors and stuff. And you get demerits if you don't do it correctly, and you're it stresses you out, but it's just it's kind of fun. It's almost like a puzzle solving game that I've never. It has a style that I've never played before. So, so. it's like Diner Dash, but with uh, border control. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, nice. yeah, it's very cool. Cool. Uh, and then I think one of the first, or one of the first, like really big indie games that I really enjoyed was, uh, I think you mentioned it, Matt, was Braid by Jonathan Blow. Uh, again, just a really, really cool style of game where uh, your movement through the game changes the way that time moves in the game, and so it kind of brings in this whole third dimension or fourth dimension where, uh, as you move through the the physical dimension of the game you affect how the time moves in the game so oh, yeah, very interesting play style so yeah nice um, and it's about you know the atomic bomb obviously so oh really yeah i didn't know that yeah, so, okay yeah. Yeah, um so, yeah. yeah i play i mean i haven't i've had very limited exposure to some indie games i think most of them that i've heard of has been recommended by you guys or i've played with you guys um through your uh peer pressure um but uh <laughs> Um, one that I did kind of find by myself, and then also you guys had coincidentally just played, and then we played together, was Castle Crashers. Um, I was a big fan of Castle Crashers. Uh, the Behemoth, I think, is a development company. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they're just, especially that game, I think they, they did a nice job of blending adventure, um, really cool animation styles, and comedy into their games. And lot, lots of replayability with different characters and um, unlocks and weapon unlocks and all that. So, one final note. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, uh, just on the same topic of, of indie games, I think one thing to watch out for for most people is, uh, and I know me and Matt have been kind of bit on this in the past, is uh, pre release or um, mm. alpha release, where 
a game doesn't it gets released and you pay for it, but it's not actually in its completed state yet. And I think uh, originally it was really fun and cool to be a part of that, but it's gotten to the point now where a lot of companies will always be in alpha release, and you don't actually ever get a full game because the game just develops for years and years and years. So yeah, um, be careful with supporting um, game developers and make sure that you get what you're paid for. But you know, with all the bullshit that's been going on with EA and some of these uh, big yeah. name companies, support your indie game developers because they're they're trying to give you the best content for your money uh, and not trying to rip you off with microtransactions. So sure. <laughs> a little PSA there for Mao. Uh, <laughs> microtransaction plug as usual. Yeah. <laughs> Classic <Come> me. <laughs> I support um, it now. Final segment on the show for today. Uh, we wanted to touch on this during uh, the mon- month of March, but uh, just kind of fell through the cra- cracks. So I figured we just hit it real quick as a little bonus on this episode. Um, Linkin Park, Meteora. In March, it was a uh, 15-year anniversary for this album. I think this album has been a big influence on all three of our lives, uh, being big Linkin Park fans. So I just wanted to give some... Uh, I wanted to hear from you guys as, as to some of your, your memories on the album, what you thought of the album when it first came out, kind of the impact it had on music, and then just kind of discuss some of our favorite tracks. Cool. You want, Actually, why don't you start, Nick? I know you're a, you've always been a huge Linkin Park fan. Yeah, uh, well... Yes, the first two albums specifically uh, yeah. kind of fell off, as everyone, as most people kind of fell off the boat after that. But um, yeah, I mean, we've talked about racket, uh, rap, try that again. We've talked about rap rock and this whole kind of like new metal-ish phase of uh, rock before. And Linkin Park was one of the front runners of that. I think they came out real strong with uh, Hybrid Theory. But um, Meteora in particular was the first, uh, my first exposure to Linkin Park, um, actually. Um, I had heard this album before, Hybrid Theory. Um, I think it was uh, actually our, our good buddy Kevin uh, Ketro. Kevin Drzinski. Yeah, Ketro. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> kind of turned me out of this band. But um, I thought it was just, it, it has such a, a unique sound. Like any song off that album, if you hear it, you know, oh, that's from Linkin Park's Meteor. Like it's like their, their sound they had on that album was fantastic. And um you know, I think it's one of those albums where you look at it as a whole collective. Like, I think of that whole, the whole album as an album. Like, you can listen to it front to uh, start to finish, and it kind of has a nice flow of songs, and uh, they all fit together as you know as equal parts to a, a overall whole. And uh, of course, you, you get um, they finish off the whole album with you know a signature little um, mixing session with uh, Mr. Han there. So, how about you guys? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, this was just a very, very uh, inspirational album for for when I was in high school, and um, I, I did hear Hybrid Theory be- Hybrid Theory before this, and it was just fell in love with Linkin Park all over again when I heard this this album. It, yeah, it was just um, very well done, very unique, and I think what was great about Linkin Park was they were just one of those bands that did something new and found the right people to do it. Yep. You know, Mike Shinoda's rapping, Mr. Han's mixing. And Chester's just incredibly, incredibly just spot on vocals sure. were just such a perfect mix of, you know, all these different talents together that just made something very unique and very special. Yeah. And they just crushed it. You know, it, it really appealed to a lot of people while still doing something new. And that's not something you see happen a lot in music nowadays. Yeah. You see um, a lot of the same stuff or people uh, doing spins on the same stuff, but not something so unique and so original as they had. So Absolutely. it was uh, definitely, a, definitely a very special moment. So. Um, so, I'm sorry to admit this, but I've actually never really listened to Meteora more than once, I think. And Ever? the reason wow, is okay. because, oh. I know, I mean, I'll try, I, I would try it now. But um, the reason is because I really, really liked uh, Hybrid Theory a lot. Um, and when Meteora came out, I wasn't immediately in, maybe I was just like in a different musical like mindset then, mm-hmm. but I wasn't as into it, and I just was kind of turned off from it. Okay. Um, but I do really like like kind of what Lincoln Park started um, with the, like the game changers type thing. We could almost include them because like the kind of like what you guys are saying, like um, Mike Shinoda and um, Mr. Han and stuff like that. The stuff that they were doing was just so cool. Yeah. And one of my favorite songs by them is like a short song on Hybrid Theory called "The Cure for the Itch." And that oh, yeah. just, mm. so cool. And yeah. Mr. Han is so badass on that track. And I don't think there's any singing on there. I just think I think it's just Mr. Han, but it's yeah. super sweet. So I um I really like that one. Not gonna lie, I had like a little bit of a man crush. Like I had posters of him on my 
So I've had a little bit of crush on Mr. Han, not gonna lie. I was like, I was kind of into him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice. Um, so with that, let's get into some of our favorite tracks on the album. Obviously, um, there's 13 tracks on the entire album, and I think maybe just quickly looking at the track list, maybe five of them were actually um, singles that came out that had quality uh, radio play. Um, mm-hmm. So I think that's pretty impressive. I mean, five out of 13 for um for an album like that like that's almost unheard of i don't don't know any artist today that's pumping out five singles off a 13 album track uh 13 track album you know yeah not not to mention you know a couple of songs were just uh preamble songs you know intro songs or some of them were just intermediate songs where there wasn't a lot of vocals which obviously don't appeal too much to radio stations but yeah that's that's incredible to have that many singles yeah um any of the ones stand out to you in particular alan that's all-time favorites I think the one of my favorites on this one was Breaking the Habit, yeah. uh, which is a really cool song. It's got a beautiful, beautiful intro with Mike Shinoda, or I'm sorry, not Mike Shinoda, Mr. Han uh, doing his kind of scratching that really plays into the song well. And yeah. It's got some real nice vocals by Chester, just a cool, very, very interesting message to it. So Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think that one, was it that one or Numb that had a really cool music video? It was all animation. Do you remember that? I think it was Breaking the Habit, yeah. Was it? It, was all, it was fully animated, yeah, I remember yeah. that one. Yeah, yeah, that's really cool. Um, I, you know what though, I kind of liked what really grabbed me. I thought they started the album really well with the forward and then don't stay. I think Mm. those two tracks, they're, they're underappreciated tracks. I think, um, you know, don't stay. There's not a lot of, there's not a lot to that song, but I think just the transition from forward to don't stay. And then the whole, as an introductory track to an album, I think is really good. Yeah, I completely agree with you. I I love, I love Chester's, uh, screaming vocals on that. It's just very intense and like long and. Yeah. I felt so, yeah. yeah. Definitely a good song. And of course, we can't say enough good things. I mean, everyone's heard Faint and uh, uh, like Numb, we mentioned before, and Somewhere I Belong and uh, Easier to Run and all those stuff, uh, all those songs. Like, those just, those speak for themselves, you know? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Cool. So I just wanted to give a little shout out to Lincoln Parks Meteor. Congratulations on 15 years. Um, RIP Chester Bennington. Um, all right. Next time on the show, we're going to be talking about AI. I'm really looking forward to this discussion with the premiere of Westworld just around the corner. As we've mentioned, uh, towards the end of the month, we're going to be taking a look at AI and how AI is literally taking over the world. Um, it's in our uh, pop. It's writing pop songs. It's uh, in video games and it's being explored all through movies uh, all the time. So we're going to be touching on that as well. Um, all right, guys. Thanks. Uh, this has been an episode of The Torrent. Thanks for listening. Well, that's it for this episode of The Torrent. Thank you all for listening. Download, rate, and subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast service. If you want to get in contact with us, feel free to send us an email, thetorrentpodcast at gmail.com. You can also get in touch with us on Facebook and Twitter at The Torrent Pod. We'll see you guys next time.